0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy
1: ramp.com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the money nerds podcast where owning a calculator budgeting your money and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success Now let's dive into the show. Have you ever heard of debt PTSD? I definitely have experienced this myself and today's guest Chris Browning has also experienced it too. We have a really good conversation that I think you're going to appreciate if you're trying to pay off debt or even if you already have paid off debt and now you're looking for what's next in my life. I think this is going to be an episode that you refer back to from time to time. It's really quite good. But before we dive into today's content and a little bit about Chris and all of his awesomeness, I have to share with you a really fun money win. This one's a huge one, you guys. It came from Erica. Erica says, OMG, today I made my final payment on my student loans. It took eight years, but now I'm officially out of debt. Total amount paid, including interest, $101,350.39. Thank you, everyone, for the motivation and tips. Hashtag money win. Erica, I am so crazy proud of you, my friend. You worked your butt off, and you achieved something that... So few people actually do. The fact that you were able to stay focused and committed for eight years when so many of us would have maybe lost focus or had life happen and not prioritize this. My goodness, I am so proud of you and all of your hard work. You are such a rock star and very, very inspiring story, my friend. Speaking of rock stars, let's talk a little bit about Chris Browning. If you are not familiar with him, he is the creator and host of the award-winning short form podcast, Popcorn Finance. Each week, Chris discusses financial topics with amazing guests in about the time it takes to make a bag of popcorn. Isn't that the coolest? I love the, the idea of a short form podcast. So I really admire that. Some of the topics that he covers on his show is understanding the basics of investing all the way to his love of tiny homes. I did not know Chris was a tiny home fan until we had this conversation. He holds a bachelor's degree in finance with an emphasis in financial planning, and he still maintains his position as a financial analyst specializing in revenue analysis. So he's got his normal nine to five job. And he's also building up quite the amazing side hustle with popcorn finance. I think it's a really cool way to go. And if you're looking for good financial tips, you are going to love this episode. Here's what you're going to learn. We talk about graduating college in the middle of a recession and how that impacted Chris, where his passion for personal finance actually comes from, how empathy and sharing personal experiences can help connect us when it comes to our financial journeys, debt and how it impacted his marriage and relationship side hustling and job advancement for paying off debt debt, PTSD, and how it can affect us, overcoming savings guilt. Have you guys ever felt that way where you have that savings and you feel guilty for even using it? We have a good conversation about that piece too. And even his investing philosophy. I really enjoyed this episode. It's very comprehensive to personal finance and I think it gives you a better understanding of how somebody like Chris is approaching his finances and we can, you know, glean little insights from him. It's really quite a good one. I am so excited to introduce you to my friend Chris Browning from Popcorn Finance, but before we do that, let's hear a quick word from today's sponsor. Hey, are you hiring? Not for me, but if you are hiring, you're going to wanna pay attention to this ad because this is going to be so helpful when it comes to making that huge decision of who is going to be a good fit your company. I'm pretty sure you've probably heard of indeed.com, but indeed is there to help you with your next hire. It's really a crucial time for a lot of people. And there's a lot of uncertainty across businesses in America. So that's why they are giving you an amazing offer. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need you can pause your account at any time, and there's no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs. This is the coolest thing, guys. They are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over three million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try out Indeed with the free $75 credit at indeed.com moneynerds money nerds, plural. This is the best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash money nerds. Terms and conditions apply. This offer is valid only through September 30th. All right, now back to the show hey guys welcome back to another episode I recently put out your my feelers on Instagram and I said who do you want to hear from who are the guests that you'd like me to bring on the show I had so many people say Chris from popcorn finance and I was like oh my god okay this is awesome I can definitely bring him on so Chris welcome to the show
0: well thank you I'm really excited to be joining you I'm appreciative to all those people who threw my name out there I'm excited to, to be on the show with you I, you know we we know each other this is, this I know a long time coming
1: I was actually kind of embarrassed. I'm like, oh, my God, Chris has not been on the show yet. Like, oh, what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh No, don't feel bad at all.
1: <laughs> I totally did. Because, yeah, we, we've known each other for a little while. And I've been following your podcast. I love that you do such a unique approach to your podcast. So tell us a little bit about the format of your show and what the inspiration was behind that.
0: Oh, yeah, so my show is called Popcorn Finance, and the whole premise behind it, why I even gave it that name, is uh, it's a short-form show where I discuss finance and about the time it takes to make popcorn. So the episodes are pretty short. My brother says I burn the popcorn sometimes, but, you know, I, I try my best to keep it short.
1: <laughs> That's so good. You burn the popcorn, man.
0: <laughs> He's like, yeah, man. He's like, I don't know what kind of popcorn you were making that episode, but it's not good anymore. <laughs>
1: That's so funny. Well, I I appreciate the short format because I do hear from a lot of people that the long form stuff is great if you have a long commute, but if you just need some quick information and you're like, come on guys, get to the point. It's such a good format.
0: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. And it really came from my lack of attention span. I I really love podcasts. I mean, listen to so many and living in California, all we do is sit in a car in traffic all the time. So I have a long list and I noticed like years ago, I was like, you know, there's not a lot of like really short form shows. And so I was like, well, why not give it a try as, you know, it fits into my kind of thinking and I won't get distracted and yep. it maybe will be less intimidating if it's short and people can just pick it up and not feel, you know, like they're reading a, a thick book or something like that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally respect that. I think a lot of people listen to your show, but they don't get to hear more of your backstory. So tell us a little bit about what was money like when you were growing up as a kid? How was the conversation portrayed?
0: It did not exist. We didn't talk about money at all growing up. It was kind of one of those situations where it's like, hey, you're the kid. You worry about school. You worry about that side of things, and we're taking care of the adult stuff over here. So we never really sat down, had money talks. So for me, it was all foreign, and I. It was just something that I figured, you know, you just pick up as you go along. When I got my first job, I just, you know, spent all my money. I didn't know what I was doing, and it wasn't until I got into college and uh, took my first finance course where it started to. Be something I thought I should maybe think a little bit more about.
1: What did you study in school?
0: So funny enough, I went into college as an art major. I, <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't know that. I I wanted to work at Pixar. Like I loved like three D animation. I was like, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna be you know making the next you know Toy Story or something like that. And I get into college, and you know I was 18. I just picked the major because I it was fun. I did some art classes in high school. I didn't realize, you know, you have to learn all the fundamentals of art. You're not going to just throw you a computer and you're going to just like start making the next movie. You have to learn all these other like skills that build up to being able to do what they do. And I get there and like my first semester and a half, I'm like, I do not like this. This is this is intense. <laughs> this is a lot of work and I don't feel as passionate as all these other people who are sitting next to me. They seem to care more about this than I do. And it was just by chance that second semester I was taking a finance class that just fit into one of my general elective slots and i was like oh this is really interesting this is fascinating like they're talking about like the stock market and and how the financial system works and i was like i didn't learn any of this like i'd never even thought about any of these things and i was already kind of fed up with being an art major and so i went to the department like the, the finance department at my college and i said what do i need to do to change my major and i went and switched and became a finance major
1: That's amazing. So when you made that transition, did you have any, was there any like guilt of like, oh man, I've already put one year in that, that kind of like sunk cost feeling or were you committed at that point?
0: Thankfully, I had only taken two art classes up to that point. It was like (laughs) one a semester because most of it was just like general elective. So I hadn't been that committed. And my parents, like the whole time, they're like, are you sure you want to be an art major? Like, do you want to get a job? Like, you know, they're giving me the whole guilt trip. Yeah. And so it was actually easier to change to be a finance major than sticking as an art major at the time, just because of all the things that were were going on. So I don't know if maybe I was three years in, how I would have felt, but being, you know, just a, less than a year in, it wasn't a, it wasn't a big deal for me to switch.
1: That's amazing. And then your, your parents sound like they're pretty supportive of your decisions all along. Um, was there financial support to help you get through college too? Or did you graduate with a buttload of student debt too?
0: Oh, most definitely. I had some help and it was very fortunate, especially looking at how many friends I know now that have like crazy amounts of student loan debt. Uh, I graduated college in 2009. I went in like 2005 and I went to a state college out here called Cal State Fullerton. And it cost me $12,000 for the whole four years to get through. Whoa. I should say it cost my family $12,000. <laughs> I should give them credit for actually paying for it to get through the four years, which is unheard of. Like I don't even know if you can get through a year at a lot of colleges for $12,000 now.
1: That's amazing though. I think that's such a good gift. And I think that's why both you and I are so passionate. We see a lot of people that don't have that support from their family or the money conversations. And we know that we can be the chain breakers, right? Like we can Change the generation and make it so that our kids or our future grandkids don't have as tough a time as we do. So props to your parents. That's really really cool.
0: Yeah, I got to give them a lot of credit because you know I, I don't know what would have happened because I was still working full time while I was in college, uh, but wow. I definitely wasn't making enough to <laughs> to cover the tuition. Even though it wasn't that high, I wasn't making that much money. Um, but yeah, you know, like you said, that art that finance class I took was the spark that made me start to think about money a little bit differently. And I think that's what we hope to do. You know, when we when we put our podcast out there, it's like, hopefully someone hears this. And it's like that thing that flips the switch. and like, oh, let me think a little bit more about what I'm doing with my money.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's really important. So you graduated college, finance major. What did you do? Did you have a hard time getting a job? Did you just immediately get a job? Like, what, what was that process like?
0: Oh, I had a very difficult time <laughs> finding a job because I graduated in 09. So it was the I middle wonder. of the recession. And so it was like, you know, no one was just handing out jobs at that time. There's people who have been, you know, in the finance industry for years who have been laid off. And so you're competing against people who have decades, decades of experience trying to get the same job that you one like as you, someone fresh out of college will be trying to get. Uh, so it was definitely tough. And I uh, when I when I went and moved into finance as my major, they had just I was just fortunate enough. The college I was in had a really large business school and they had a financial planning track within finance and so that was my goal was to become a financial planner when i got out um did not work out at all a lot of the jobs that were being offered to me were just straight sales jobs you could tell they just wanted you to push products and i was like i was not comfortable with that and so i was working at a bank all while the majority of time i was in college and so i just basically was stuck working at that bank for an additional probably two years almost after i graduated Um, but during that time i got my investment license i got to figure out you know how the whole world works at least on the banking side see what i liked, see what i didn't like and then randomly just became uh an accountant i got work as a running a payroll department that was my first like real job out of college Get out of here yeah what a sexy job Payroll, <laughs> like it's as boring as it sounds just if anyone's wondering it is just oh, don't do it <laughs> That's
1: so funny. I worked for a public accounting firm for two-ish years and it was a small firm. So I was doing like external auditing and taxes and a little bit of payroll. And I can tell you, every time I had to do payroll, I'm like, freaking screw this job. Like, this is not for me. I hated it.
0: (laughs) It is one of the most tedious, like time-consuming jobs. And I did that for seven years.
1: Dang, dude.
0: And it was, oh, oh, talk about like just crushing your soul. That's what what that was.
1: (laughs) And for those of you that do payroll, where you respect the heck out of you, it's just, (laughs) you know, when you know it's not for you, you know.
0: Yeah. And it's a tough job. I give anyone who's still doing it, it's it's a tough job. And, you know, they know the stress.
1: (laughs) They they do. They get it. (laughs) They get it. Yep. So you you did that for seven years. And then what did you go into after that?
0: So after that, I moved into financial analysis. So that's what my current like full-time day gig now is. Doing like revenue analysis. So, definitely a different type of stress, but a less tedious, strenuous type of stress than when I was doing payroll.
1: Yeah, that's so awesome. And is it for like a big corporation, a small, like what type of size of company are you working for?
0: Oh, it's small. So, it's like I do like for um, analysis for local government. So, it's definitely smaller entities, not like a big, like Fortune 500 company or anything like that.
1: That's so cool. I, I think sometimes that's in some ways better. I have a lot of friends that work for corporate companies and the bigger the company, the more linear your path is. And so it does seem that way. So that's awesome that you're, you're working for like a good size company and being able to learn all the different ropes.
0: Yeah. And it's just like, it's one of those things that just gives me a different experience. Like not everything you do, you enjoy, but I try to at least pull something from it that I can use somewhere else. Like I may not be liking this type of work, but at least I'm going to try to pull something that I can use somewhere else, you know, along the way.
1: Yeah. Chris, where's your passion for personal finance? Like, where did that really come from?
0: You know, I think it it came from college. That's where it all started. And it came from the fact that I was sitting in a class, like, you know, you're an adult at that point, you're over 18. And you're like, I don't know any of this. Like, how is it that I don't know any of this information? And it actually seems relevant. Like I took so many classes through college, you know, you take, you take a wide range of classes and realistically, a lot of that stuff you're never going to use again. You're like, I'm this history class was great. It's fascinating, but I'm probably going to forget this by the time I roll around to my next batch of classes. And yep. I'm not going to probably use this again unless I end up on jeopardy. So these finance classes were the first set of classes I took that were extremely practical. And I was like, why why did I not know any of this? Like why why was I never taught any of any of this information? And I think that's where it started. And, and as I got deeper and deeper into it, and especially because I was f- so focused on the financial planning side of things, that's where the interest and passion grew. And I was like, this would be information that any that like everyone should know about. And that's why I was like, I want to be a financial planner because I wanna teach people this information and kind of get them going on the right path. I love
1: that. I think that's really awesome. And I've found the same for me. Like it comes from personal experience. You find something that like sparks for me. It was that compound interest chart. You mm-hmm. see when you're like 19, you're like, what it could be a millionaire with 50 bucks a month or whatever it is.
0: <laughs> why didn't anybody tell me this?
1: I know. Right. I was like, come on. Thanks mom. But it's, it's one of those things that I think is really awesome that draw. And then you turned it into the podcast format. Was it just to help other people? Were you like annoying your family? And that's why you started the podcast. <laughs> like what was the draw there?
0: You know, I'm, I've am i always been a huge fan of podcasts just because I, I drive so much and I got tired of listening to the same like 90 ads on the radio. So I switched over to podcasts and it was it was one of those things where it's like I couldn't find a job as a financial planner. It was like so tough. I wasn't really wasn't ending up in the place that I thought I was going to be when I graduated college and I was working in a job that I didn't really like that much. And so it was, I I had this passion to still teach these things. And every job I went to, I ended up being that person that would help people with their 401k plans. Like, oh, how do I sign up? What do all these things mean on this paper? Right. You know, all answering all those questions. So I was like, what could I do to still teach this stuff? Even though I still need this day job. Like, I was like, I'm not going to just quit right now because I have nothing else set up. What do I do? And I helped a friend make a a podcast. And we were in college. It was like a random video game podcast that no one listened to. like Maybe like two people probably listened to it over the year or so we did it for. And I was like, well, I like podcasts. I have a little bit of experience working on one. Why not use a podcast as a platform to teach? Because I feel like I've learned a lot through podcasts. And that's kind of what made me shift and make that transition to using the podcast as as a way to to teach personal finance.
1: That's incredible. I I think that's really awesome, too. And then you just celebrated over 200 freaking episodes. Wow, yeah. Dude, that's so many.
0: <laughs> I know. I was like, I, 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 it doesn't even feel like it's been that long. But when I look back, I was like, wow, I don't remember some of these episodes. It's been so many at this point. Isn't that <laughs> crazy? I know.
1: I was listening to your, your 200 recap, and I was cracking up because you're like, wow, that's been 100 episodes ago? Like, What? <laughs>
0: Like, when did that happen?
1: I know, right? It makes you feel old. Um, but I, I love your podcast and I, I think it's really inspirational and it's mostly very focused, which I think is what people appreciate most. But I'm curious, as a podcast host, after talking with literally hundreds of people, what have you learned? Like, what are some of the common themes that have showed up from being a podcast host?
0: That's a great question. You know, for sure, like if we just look at the topics, investing is is like the number one topic everyone wants to know about. Like People want to know what it is. How do I make money? What about this stock? What about this investment? What, you know? It's it, it can be so complex, and there are so many terms and things that people are just not familiar with throwing out there that that becomes one of the areas that I always receive questions on. And I've done probably, I haven't gone back and counted, but I'd say that's probably the topic that has been done the most on my show, It's Investing. And so outside of that, the other thing that I've really picked up has been, it really is a different journey for everyone. Mm. Like there are some definite, some principles, pillars of finance that everyone can implement. But outside of that, it is so unique of a journey for each individual. And what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another person. And what one person uses as their motivation won't motivate someone else. And I've learned that you have to give people a lot of grace and compassion understanding in their journey with money because you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what their their life is like and what's made them make the decisions that they've made. And so it's just becoming more understanding and, and not being the whole, you need to do this. If you don't do this, you're doing it wrong. It's like, no, you've got to meet people where they are. And some people just aren't ready to make those changes.
1: I think that's where the diversity in your content comes into play too. And it, you you bring on such a wide range of guests that talk about very different topics. So it's like, there's definitely something for everybody. And I can imagine that makes people feel heard and like you are empathizing with their journey too.
0: Yeah. And, and it's one of those things that you kind of, I've learned and grown over the course of doing these, you know, 200 plus episodes now, and it it is so fascinating for me to hear from different people, to see the different experiences and journeys and what they've done to to make their lives better or make changes in their lives. So um, I think that's one of the things I've loved the most about the show is being able to have so many different voices be a part of it and then also learn along with everyone else through the process of of making these shows.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, how has that changed your financial life, or has it in any way?
0: Oh, it for sure has. It, it for sure has. I think one of the biggest things is um, that I was exposed to that I didn't know exist was the whole uh, fire community. Yeah, and and that whole lifestyle and. You know I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say that I'm one of those people who's like I'm gonna you know retire early. Um, you know I, I would like to retire earlier than traditional, but I don't want to be I I don't, be, I don't necessarily want to be 70 when I retire. But one of the things that I took from it is just this whole way of thinking about money and thinking about life and the trade-off you make. And it's like I could give up a little bit of enjoyment now for maybe some more enjoyment in the future and, and learning those value, um, learning how to balance those values in your own personal life and find out what works best for you and and how much of a difference you can make in your future by being a little more diligent now. So like I love just pulling little pieces from all these uh, stories and lessons I've learned along the way.
1: How is that? So I, I always struggle with that too, that like living in the now and wanting to save your money and invest it versus like But, oh, my gosh, they're stalking me on Instagram and I want this shirt.
0: Like, how do you
1: how do you personally balance that so that you still can like spend on things you enjoy, but you're still more forward thinking?
0: I mean, being 100 percent honest, it's very difficult. It's hard to find that balance. And it just I think it just comes with time. And I something I'm still learning myself because I've been on both extremes. I've been on the side where I've spent way too much money, more money than I had and ended up in debt. And I've also been on the side where I've been so tough on myself and so restrictive with my budget that I'm having no fun whatsoever. And so it's, it becomes a, a, you learn through experience. And I think that's one thing that we don't give ourselves a lot of time to do in personal finance is just to try stuff and see if it works. We feel like we have to do the right thing the first time. And if you don't, if you're not successful and if you're not, you know, making all these leaps and gains in your net worth and in your bank account, you're doing it wrong. But I think there's benefit to trying things out and saying, hey, this person mentioned that they budget this way. Let me try this for a month. Or this person they split their money up with their spouse this way. Let me try that. And you know, and then as you experience it, then you can pick and choose what works for you. And maybe even build something new. And that's one of the things that I've I've I found helps helped me is just trial and error because you don't know until you give it a try.
1: Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that you've been on both sides of the extremes too. Let's go back to when you when you did face some debt and you were like, oh crap, maybe a little bit overkill, like what was the debt and like, what was going on in your life during that time?
0: Yeah. So I, uh, got married in 2012. I had to think back, like, when was that? You yeah. Know. I was like, don't say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> 2012. That's 50 years ago now. I'm from 2020. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And going into the wedding prep, we didn't have any debt, either one of us, but we also didn't have any money. So that was the problem. We were like trying to plan this wedding that we obviously couldn't afford. And there's just the pressure, you know, oh, well, you have to do it this way. You have to invite this many people. And you got to have this food at this place and all those things. I mean, all said and done, it was pretty relatively inexpensive wedding. We spent like $14,000, which I guess is not that much money. But it's a lot of money when you don't have fourteen thousand dollars. So we kind of went from there. we we moved in together. we both were were living separately, and then we had to buy furniture. and then there were school expenses that popped up. And then there was uh, I think a couple of like medical bills that came out of nowhere. And then next thing we know, about two years into our wedding or into our wedding into our marriage, we were about twenty seven thousand dollars in debt. And it was just a, it was uh, the main issue was one, we were spending money we didn't have, but then also we weren't communicating because we, weren't used to having those conversations with other people and, you know, saying, oh, I'm going to use the credit card, but make sure you pay it off. You know, we, we didn't have that, that, uh, those conversations. And that's, that's kind of what landed us in that situation where we were definitely over our heads when it came to our finances.
1: What was the moment for you guys as a couple, when you guys were having this conversation, how did you come to the conclusion that something needed to change?
0: You know, it was one of those things where you kind of know in the back of your head, things are going well. You're like, I know we're not doing well financially. We just don't want to face the the music of it. We didn't want to kind of sit down there and look at it. So one day I was just like, you know what? I need to add this up. I don't know where we're at because I haven't looked at it all together. But let me just sit down, write it all out. That's when I realized how much debt we were in. And it just stressed me out. I was like, this is mm. ridiculous. Because at the time, I think we were maybe bringing home somewhere around 45000 combined for both of us in California, which is not a lot of money for no, us out here not- at all. And so I was like, this is like half of what we make in a year, how are we going to pay this off? And so the stress of dealing with all that made me go to my wife and I was like, hey, we have all this debt, what are we gonna do? Like, you know, we we need to make some changes. And that was the moment for me. And I think she saw how stressed out I was because I was like, think about this, like constantly, like all day, every day at work. I'm like, what are we gonna do? How can I make more money? You know, it just became consuming. And I think because she saw how stressed out I was, and then she realized when I told her, like, this is where we're at that was like the turning point where it's like, we got to make some changes.
1: So you, you just like literally just tracked it of like, Hey, here's how much debt we have. Here's the, the come to Jesus moment where we got (laughs) to face the facts. And that's when you started to make some small changes. So like, what were some of those changes that you guys implemented?
0: Mm. Well, the biggest thing was, and it's like the thing that everyone says, but like no one wants to do is like like making a budget. It's like the least. The least exciting thing you could ever do. Like someone says, oh, let's go make a budget. You're like, oh, yeah, get away from me. I don't <laughs> sound like a good <laughs> like,
1: idea.
0: No, yep. <laughs> but that was really it. It was sitting down and being like, if we have this debt and we want to pay it off, we don't even know how much money we ha- really had available to pay that debt down. And so we're sitting down writing out, like, these are all of our expenses that have to be paid. Like, okay, we had to pay rent. We got to pay for food. We had to pay for car insurance. Like all these things that have to happen. Now after that, what do we have left? And then once we had that number, it's like, okay, how much of this can we realistically put towards debt? And this was the start of me going, like, super strict, where it was like yeah. we we're having no fun because pretty much almost every penny that we had that didn't need to go cover some mandatory expense was going towards debt. And it was really, like I said, like a trial and error type of thing. Like, the first budget we we made, it failed miserably. And then, this like, five or six after that failed again. And it just took time and time of, like, okay – we need to shift our habits because if this is our budget, we can't keep acting the way we were acting before. We can't do those same things. And it just took time to um, adapt and include, incorporate new ways of spending and handling our money that eventually helped us get to the point where we paid off debt.
1: How, how long did it take for you guys to pay it off once you buckled down?
0: So it was a very realistic amount of time. It took us about two and a half years because we That's definitely awesome. had, we had setbacks in there where, you know, like random medical bills would pop up. I think we had like a trip to the emergency room that it was like $800 or something ridiculous where it's like we had to pause everything to pay that. And so, but roughly about two and a half years to, to pay all that off.
1: That's not bad though. I, I like that you you tried to make it a fairly realistic plan for you guys because did you guys pick up extra work? How did that work?
0: Oh yeah. So there's, there's several things that happened in there. So for Dang. me, thing. I, I did some side hustle. So I like I like all throughout college, I would like sell things on eBay. So I did some of that. I would like buy things and resell them. And I was like, just like a random thing. I know you're a great reseller. I love watching your adventures of like finding furniture and fixing it up. <laughs> best. It's like, I was, like I'm, I was never that good, but I would, I would try. <laughs> I would try to resell things. And one of the biggest things was like at the end, right, like the last few months leading up to when we paid it off, I started doing food delivery, which I know you've done as well. I've seen, I've seen your, your journey with that too. And that was probably one of the more lucrative for the amount of time I was putting in, one more, more lucrative um ways that I made some extra money. but but in all honesty, the biggest thing I did was um changing jobs to make more money because where I was, it, you know, they they're only going to give me so much of a raise. Like every year it was like, you know, we can give you a few pennies. Here you go. But 3%, we can, yeah, yeah, it's like you barely even notice your your check changed after they take taxes out of it. Uh, but joining professional organizations, I would join. Um, there was uh, organizations for accountants, and they would have annual conferences, and so I became like a co-chair there, and I would help organize speakers for the events they would have, and I would meet other people from different places. And then it became a way to build my resume because I was, you know, fresh out of college. That was my first real job. I had worked there for three years. I really had nothing else to show other than. Hey, I was in college and now I'm not in college. And so doing these other things were uh, ways I could beef up my resume to look a little more impressive, maybe than I really was, and then use that to help me jump uh, to different positions. So I think my when I finally made my first jump out of that first job, because I was able to kind of beef up my resume, I think my pay increased somewhere around like $1,200 a month um, wow. by making that change. And so Wow. Okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was very excited when I saw that. So it was like the, I, the side hustles definitely helped. They helped chip away because I could take that money and directly apply it towards the debt, but also focusing in my day job and using that to kind of springboard into better positions uh, was definitely a significant part of that change too.
1: I think it's so smart that you're talking about this too, because I, I hear a lot of people when they go through their debt journey, and I'm totally guilty of this too, we focus so much on the side hustle piece mm-hmm. and the just working more instead of like that pausing and saying, how do I build up my network so that I can earn more money over the long run? And I love that you were able to do that.
0: Oh, thanks. Yeah. It was one of those things that it was, I don't even know how, what made me start doing it. I think it was just like, I was getting tired and the opportunity came up and I was like, well, maybe this could lead to something. Like if I'm not happy here, this might lead to something else. And not knowing, you know, what that would end up being, but it is one of the things that we overlook because it, for a lot of us, you just you're so tired at your job. You're just like you're over it a lot of the times. So you're like, I, I don't even want to walk in this door anymore. And so the thought of doing even more <laughs> there is kind of like, it sounds horrible. But uh, it it can be really beneficial, especially because you can those little things that you that sound insignificant. When you put them on a resume, they look impressive, even if you don't think that much of them.
1: They totally do. I, they really do. I, I love that you're building up your network and working that angle too. Yeah. So once you paid off the debt, did you did you guys have this like line in the sand moment where you're like never again? We're never going back.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, that fear, that stress, it didn't leave me for like a couple years. Really? Until after the debt was paid off. Like I was so like over it, I was like, I do not want to be in that place again. It was such a stressful experience that I took all that like energy and I moved it towards like, okay, now we're now we're saving an emergency fund and now we're putting money towards retirement. Like all that same pressure that I put on myself to pay off the debt and went over to these things, which was good because it gave us a great foundation after paying off debt and helped us not like immediately fall back into debt. Uh, but I definitely kept the stress levels maybe a little too high on us and on our on our household by being so hard on us, even though we we made a huge accomplishment. Like I celebrated it for like 30 seconds and I was like, all right, next thing, what's on the list? And I wish <laughs> no I would have been a little bit calmer about that.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of high achievers tend to do that too, where it's like, all right, check that box, moving on. Now I gotta keep that same focus and that momentum. Um, I'm curious, everyone internalizes stress a little bit differently and and the reasons why we have stress around finances is so unique. But what were like why did you feel like stress Debt was such a stressful thing.
0: You know, it felt like I was delaying the future. It felt like there were all these things I wanted to do, but I couldn't do because this debt was hanging over me. It was like, I would love to buy a house, but we can't buy a house with this much debt sitting here, especially, you know, we're not making that much money. Uh, it, It was... I, you just have these hopes, like I want to start saving for retirement. I want to maybe, you know, start planning for these bigger things or travel, like all these things I would like to do. I felt like I can't, cause we really, we really couldn't afford it. Like we didn't have them. We realistically didn't have the money to do those things I wanted to do. And I think that's why I was so kind of hard on myself because it was like, mm-hmm. we've lost all this time. We've lost this to, well, the two years we built up the debt and then the two and a half years it took us to pay it off. Like that in my mind, I know it was being too hard on myself, but in my mind, I was like, that time was lost. Now that, that that's gone. Now I need to make up for that lost time. And I think that's why I went so hard after we paid off the debt to keep things going and moving forward to try to make up some ground, even though I was probably stressing myself out more than I, than I needed to. It was just, it was hard to shake the, that feeling.
1: It is, it is. So I'm kind of curious, like with, With regard to like self-care with your finances now, I think sometimes when you are a numbers person, you get really into those weeds of like opportunity costs. And if you invest this much, like we're extra nerdy and I think our brains are constantly thinking (laughs) through trade-offs. So how do you give yourself maybe permission to be in the moment and also be patient? Cause this is a lifelong journey. Like how do you practice like that financial self-care?
0: You know, the biggest thing for me is because one thing I learned about myself is that I don't, I mean, this is probably who goes for most people. I don't like financial surprises. I don't think anyone likes <laughs> no. someone just popping up out of nowhere and say, hey, give us some money that you didn't know you you owe to us. Like, I don't like those things. And so for me, that's why I think it was so hard to enjoy my money because I was like, something's going to come up. Something's going to happen. Just wait. They're waiting around the corner. The moment I relax, they're going to show up with a bill that I didn't know existed and I'm going to have to pay it. And what helped me the most was actually taking our budget and adding in money for doing fun things. Mm. And so making that like, so it's not like a splurge, like our habits before were, were hey, I saw a new restaurant, why don't we go there? And, and then the, the follow-up question was never, do we have the money, it was, great idea, let's go. And so, you know, right, that's just, that's just what, what it just, you just do it, you don't even think about it. And for me, by putting it in the budget, the money was just there. So I was like, oh, this money is sitting right here. And I even opened up a separate account and would put the money there. So it didn't even get commingled with everything else because I would for sure spend it if it stayed with the rest of the money. (laughs) And it became like guilt free because it's like, oh, this money is just sitting here. And if I don't touch it, it's just still going to be there. And that allowed me to spend that money freely without feeling any of the pressure and anxiety that I felt, um, came with, you know, Being too being too free with being uh you know spending money around the places I wanted to.
1: No, I respect that. I totally respect that. You mentioned you have the separate checking account to have some of those like fun experiences. What does your money system look like? Can you paint us this picture of like how you personally manage?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I'm definitely on the extreme side because I'm very visual, so I like to see you know if I if I'm saving for a trip, I want to see that money by itself. So Mm -hmm. I open up. A lot of savings accounts because, you know, it's free to open up a bunch of savings accounts at the bank I use. So I go in and I'll open up an account and I'll just name it what it's there for. So if it's for travel, I'll call it travel. If it's for, um, what's the other one? Like we have one for um, gifts, like for Christmas time. There's, a, oh, there's cool. an account for that. Uh, we have one for like car registration because it comes up every year regardless. Like So I have these little accounts that I use for these things that I know are going to be significant chunks of money that we may want to use for something, but they get their own little home to be in. So that way they don't accidentally get spent. And I can actually visually just see the progress as I go along. And that's like, so that's a big thing I use the savings accounts for. And then on the checking account side, um, also I want to give a shout out to um, Sirenese. She has a poised lifestyle finance. Oh, yes. Yes. She, I talked to her and she has a really cool system called the high five banking method. And part of it is she has a checking account that you use for just like your day-to-day stuff and then one that's just for bills. And I didn't even think about that. I was like, oh, I just write down, these are all my bills that I have, and I have one credit card that I pay all my bills with, and Mm -hmm. then all the money that needs to be used to pay that credit card off for those bills gets funneled into a checking account. And at the end of the month, I take all the money out of the checking account that exactly matches what's on the credit card, and I pay it off. And when she told me that, my mind was blown. I was like, Are you kidding me? That it was that simple. I could have been doing that all this time instead of like, oh, wait, this bill's coming out at this time. Even though I was like, okay, let me, we're getting paid this time. I was I was doing all this yep. random, confusing math to try to figure out where money needs to be. And it's like, oh, if I just pulled it and put it somewhere else, I don't have to worry about accidentally spending it. And so that's what I've I've recently, probably the past year, have adopted for the bill side of things. And it's made a huge impact on my stress level with money because it's like I don't even think about it, it just automatically comes out. And then I make the payment and then it's done.
1: Well, and I like the strategy too, because you also don't have to worry about, you, you, like you said, like tracking this paycheck needs to cover this bill because it's all getting on your credit card and you just make that payment at the end of the month. I think that's so cool.
0: Yeah. And that was one of my big issues was that. So I get paid biweekly, and yeah. your bills never line up perfectly with these checks. They don't split themselves evenly. It's like, Oh, half your bills come out here. And half is this time. So it was always that, wait, okay, when does this need to be paid? And how much money do I need to make sure I don't spend on this paycheck to have enough to cover this app? So it, it got rid of all of that. And it was just like, I, I know how much the total of the bills are. Cause I wrote all my bills down and all the amounts and I just divide it in half and just have it automatically transfer half of it on one check, half on the next check. And then I just pay the credit card and it's nice and clean. And it's, Oh, it's been, it's been a lifesaver for me, for sure. That's
1: so freaking smart. I actually think I might need to do that because I, historically, I've been a little bit credit card shy myself. Like, I'll use it for like travel and that kind of stuff. But I, I don't know. I'm so credit card shy in some ways, but I can see the perk of this and just how clean it is.
0: Yeah. And you know, the key too is that that credit card, I do not use it for anything else. I don't, even, it's not even in my wallet. It's like locked away somewhere. So I don't even, oh, got I, there's it. no chance of me spending some money and throwing off that balance when now they they don't match anymore. It's this card is only used online. It's set up to automatically pay the bills and then that's it. And I never use that card for anything else. And that's that's been the key to so I don't go back into old <laughs> in the old habits.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. That that's super smart. I appreciate you mentioning that too. So you've got your I love that system and then you've got your savings accounts and your sinking funds that you're just building up over time. Have you ever experienced any like guilt was spending from your savings account?
0: You know, at first I did, even though they were there for specific reasons, like this is for gifts or this is for travel. I know that's what it's there for, but having had years of my life where I had nothing saved to then see an account with, you know, $500 in it that's built up over the course of the year, it, it feels, it felt wrong. Like, oh, wait, if I take this out, then there's not $500 in here anymore. There's $0 and I don't like the way that looks. So it it became hard for a while to get my mind around the fact that, no, you put this money here for a reason. It was meant to be spent. That's what you should do with it. I know you don't want it to be gone, but by spending this money, you're not going to be now broke because this money was just for this purpose. And it was just, you have to, it's, it's a, it's a mental shift. I guess you don't really realize you pick up these habits and these thinking patterns uh, but you do. It just, it just happens over the course of just being alive. And you really have to be intentional in getting yourself to switch and think about things a little bit differently. And it can be hard. And it, like I said, it took me two years to really finally calm down and release some of that tension yeah. and pressure I had around that. But you can do it. It just, um, just takes a little bit of time.
1: This is like a counseling session for me, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead serious. I have travel savings accounts and I, every time I'm like, it's, it's meant to be spent. You love traveling. It's okay. It's an experience. You'll regret not going. And then when I go to pull the money, I'm like, but can I cash flow somewhere else? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's the dumbest thing.
0: Oh, I know exactly how you feel. I've been there all the time.
1: Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this. Like every single time I'm like having issues, (laughs) like Chris says it's okay.
0: (laughs) I'll listen to it too to convince myself sometimes. Yeah, no doubt. Right. I know. (laughs) I know.
1: It goes both ways. We usually give the advice we need.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Exactly.
1: So I love that you you do this system, and now you're focusing a lot of your content on investing because that's what your audience wants. But I presume that's kind of your your next phase in life, too, is just building up wealth. What's your philosophy on investing?
0: For me, and I saw this quote somewhere. I'm going to butcher it. I always butcher quotes because I never remember anything that I've seen. Uh, but it was something like, investing should be like watching grass grow. <laughs> And if you, if you want excitement, go to Vegas, like something like that. Like it was something along those lines. And that's kind of the philosophy I take because even though I went to school, studied this stuff, learned how to look at companies, uh, like financial filings and read their perspectives, all these things, like I've done that. I don't want to do that anymore. Like I've done it. It wasn't that exciting for me personally. So I'm not a fan of making things complicated and having to spend a lot of time researching these individual companies and watching my accounts and making moves so for me i'm a big fan of of index fund investing so putting my money into these these index funds that track you know the whole stock market and that's how i invest for my retirement because things are going to go up things are going to go down but i don't need this money for decades so i want something that's simple easy to use inexpensive and that's my philosophy, you know. There's other people who, who like other ways and that's fine, you know. It's your money. You do whatever you're comfortable with. But for me, that's kind of the, the route I've chosen because I want to keep it I want to keep it simple. I don't want any more stress.
1: So, <laughs> you're not a day trader.
0: No no, my my heart cannot take that.
1: Can't either. <laughs> I have some friends that that's like legitimately how they make their money. And every time I'm like, "Oh my god, I would be like having a panic attack every time the stock market went down."
0: Yeah, I would just be watching. I've when I was younger, when I was in college, like I would, uh, I, I was looking at the market. I would jump in on a couple of IPOs, like when a new company would issue their stock, and I just couldn't take it. Like I would buy it, and then it would go down. I'm like, I've made a horrible mistake, and then it would go up. I'm like, oh great, and then I would go. Down. I I, could, I can't take the, the the ride. That's not that's not for me. So I I stay away from it.
1: So index funds and I presume bonds. That's kind of your philosophy.
0: Yeah. So I do, since I'm relatively, I guess, young in the grand scheme of things, I'm 33. Uh, so I have, the youngest. you know, so young, just a baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I do, I, right now I'm like doing like a 90, 10%, 90% in stocks, 10% in bonds. That's just the allegation I've chosen for right now. Uh, it's not like, you know, I'm not saying anyone who else who's 33 should be doing that, but that's just what I've chosen to go with for right now. Um, and it's, it's been very stress-free.
1: I love this. Are you doing your investing all on your own? Do you have a financial planner making those decisions? Like, How did you approach that?
0: I decided to go at it on my own. I was like, okay, I I think I feel comfortable doing this. So I I went in and yeah, I just go through my my work offers a a retirement plan. And I went through and looked at the options and they have uh, a mutual fund that follows the S&P 500, which is one of the bigger stock market indexes. And so I put my money there and they had a bond fund. And so I said, okay, 10% will go here. 90% will go there every paycheck. And that's just, I just let it roll every paycheck and don't, don't worry about it.
1: Love that. So when you, when you were looking at your company's investment plan and is it a 401k?
0: It is a 457. I didn't remember oh, the numbers there.
1: Got it. Okay.
0: Pretty, basically for very similar to 401k.
1: So when you're looking at that, I know a lot of times people are defaulted into these like target date funds where it's like, yeah, hey, you plan on retiring in 2060. Here's the investments we recommend. Was it difficult for you to like adjust that and to do it based off of like what you wanted to put your money into?
0: No, it's actually a really simple process, but it can be confusing because there's just so many options. Like you could open the page and it's like 50 different things you could be putting your money in. Um, I think target date funds are fine. I don't, I'm not against target date funds because they really simplify the process. Uh, people do have issue with them because they're, they're meant to slowly make your investments more conservative over time. And some people say that happens too quickly. Like they're making you too, they're, they're taking you out of stocks, which have a higher return traditionally and putting you into bonds, which are more conservative, grow slower too quickly, but if I were to tell someone right now, like if I, was a, if I saw a friend and say, like, hey, what should I invest in? And they show me their plan. And they're like, I jumped into this target date fund. I was like, I'd be, that's fine because that's better than doing nothing at all. And so if you if you are in a position where like, hey, I wanna take a little more control and maybe handle my own selections versus doing a target date fund, you you can always go in there and it's, they make it pretty simple where you go in and you just literally type in the percentage, say, hey, here's a fund that uh, represents the whole stock market. Um, The thing is, it could be, they're all labeled something different. So I couldn't say pick this fund name here and this will be the one that would work. Um, But if you have a little bit of time, you feel like digging into your plans documents a little more, you can find one that says it's like, something that follows like the S&P 500 or total stock market of some name roughly like that. Um, And then that could be your way of saying, hey, I'm I'm choosing to be uh, at this percentage in the total stock market. And I wanna put this much in something a little more conservative, a little more safe. Uh, so you can do that. So, you know, it's really up to you what you feel like doing, but um, it's not as difficult as it appears. It just takes a little time to get comfortable with whatever system you're using.
1: I love that. That's a great tip. I think that that is the the key there with personal finances. The language can be confusing and you have to just be brave enough to look at it and to do a little bit of digging and see what does this actually mean in plain English?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're to translate this into something I understand.
1: Sometimes it's tough. I, I respect people that, that struggle with that. I, I get that. I've been there myself too. Um, I'm curious too, for, for your finances, do you invest outside of your retirement plan?
0: I'd say the vast majority of my investing is within my retirement plan. Yeah. Um, I, I will do a little bit here and there. So I've, I've, you know, because I've, I want to test out these different apps and services. So I've, I've checked out like a, um, like the cash app has like, you can buy individual stocks. I've tried like a stockpile, different things like that, just so I'm familiar with the platform if someone were to ask me a question. But then again, that gives me anxiety with buying individual stocks. So I don't do that very often. I, I, the majority of my investing that is for retirement, I do within the retirement account itself. And I'm fortunate enough that my job offers a plan that, is, um, that has options that are uh, inexpensive. They're not high in fees, which is a complaint for a lot of work base or work plan, uh, work retirement plans is that they have higher fees than they should. Uh, but I'm fortunate to work somewhere where the fees are low enough to where it's not, you know, I I probably couldn't do better if I invested it outside somewhere else. So I stick with my, my work plan.
1: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You're spot on. There's a lot of those fees that are crazy and can be a little bit high and it's, I think even at the end of the day, even if you're investing in a plan that is higher fee, like props to you for making that effort, like that's great. And then when you know more, you do better. So I think that's really kind of the key there.
0: Yeah. Cause it's better to do something than nothing. Like even if the fees are, like you said, they're not the best, if it's better than putting your money there than to say, I'm just not going to invest because the fees are too high. Cause now you've done nothing for your future.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so many people sit on so much cash in their savings accounts and they're like, no, but I'm earning money. I'm like, oh homie, you're not. <laughs> you're losing it every year Not at all. Yeah, as a financial analyst, you get that more than most people do.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know I was just I was just having discussions about this about how we don't think about inflation and how things get more expensive over time. And the fact that, I, you know, we've all heard like older people in our lives, like grandparents or aunts and uncles talk about going to the movies and, you know, with a dollar coming back with, you know, change. I'm like, that's crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and you can't do that. Even like 10 years ago, like going to the movies. It was like, you know, $8 compared to, you know, $20 now, whatever it is, nuts. It's, it's crazy. And it's like every, all the things we buy in life get more expensive. And if you're just saving in a savings account, you're not earning enough interest to outpace the rate at which things are growing so essentially your money becomes less valuable and you can buy less 20 years from now with that money than you could now and that's why it's so important to just even if it's a target date fund invest it because you can earn such a a much higher interest rate a much higher return on your money and not only not have your money lose value over time but have it grow faster than you could ever save it on your own
1: It's so true. Chris, you are such a rock star. Like it it seems like you, you just have everything figured out. You're just such a cool guy. So (laughs) it's always fun picking your brain and learning more about you. But if somebody is listening to you and they're like, man, I want to be like Chris, what are, (laughs) give us the blueprint. Like what, what can we do today to start to get our finances better?
0: First, I would say be like Whitney. Like, you don't want to be like me. I'd ah, rather be like Whitney. So that's, that's that's step number one, right there. Um, and I think if you if you're already listening, if you're already listening to the show right now, that means you already care. That means you you're thinking about your money in a different way, and you want to do better. And so that's the that's the first step. Is like knowing that okay, I need to know more, and I want to do better. Um, I'd say the next thing is just give yourself a little bit of grace with the mistakes you've made in the past. I think a lot of times we can kind of just beat ourselves up and say, well, we made all these mistakes. Things are never going to be better. I've messed up. So why even bother? You got to drop that and just say, you know what? We all make mistakes. I've made mistakes. Whitney, I'm sure you've made mistakes. We all do things that we wish we could have done better. Just got to get over that and say, all right, now that I know I made a mistake, what do I do better? And just leave that stuff in the past. So that's step two. And then step three is just be very intentional with your money it's, you're going to do something with it. You're going to, your money's going to go somewhere, whether it's going to go to somebody else or you're going to get to keep it to use to build for your future. That's your choice. And so just know that every dollar you have could mean something for you later down the road. And it's okay to enjoy some of that and spend it on things that, you know, just for fun, but also know that you got to think about your future self, your 60, 70 year old self who would appreciate you doing something now to make life a little bit better for, for them in the future.
1: I love it. This is so good. Fun conversation. So Popcorn Finance is where everybody can go to listen to your podcast. Where do people go to hang out with you and connect with you? Maybe ask you some fun questions.
0: Yeah. The best place to go where I spend a lot of my time is over on Instagram. So I'm at Popcorn Finance Podcast. If you want to come say hi or send me a question or check out a past episode, it's the best place to go. Or just you can go to popcornfinance.com and then have links to where you can listen to the show there.
1: Chris, you're a rock star. Before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: All right, let's do this. My first question for you. What's one purchase you recently made that has made your life better?
0: Ooh, should I go, should I go like tech nerdy or something more practical?
1: <laughs> Ooh, maybe if you have an answer for both, we can totally do both.
0: Ooh, Okay. The nerdy side of things. I'll just get that out of the way quickly. Uh, I, I do all my editing, and so I bought some new plugins that help me edit more efficiently. So it can automate some of the things I need to do instead of me spending 30 minutes chopping little pieces out. It can go in and do some of that stuff for me. So that's my nerdy pick, and that has been well worth the money. It wasn't even that expensive. I was like, why did I waste three years not doing this? I could have been doing this so much faster. Um, on the other side, so the personal side of things. Hmm. I would say one recent purchase that I've really, really enjoyed, it would be an exercise bike. I got an exercise bike because when the when the pandemic hit, I couldn't go to the gym anymore. And even even before the pandemic, I, was, just be realistic, I wasn't going to the gym that much. <laughs> I, just, I wouldn't even pretend like I was like the super there. athlete before. And, <laughs> but it was one of those things like I could just sit at home and continue to get fat because I was getting very fat. Um, or I, or I could try to do something. So I got this bike and it's been probably one of the best purchases I've made because I'm actually exercising and it eliminated that excuse of me like, Oh, I don't have time after work to drive to the gym. Now it's like, well, do you have time to walk to the next room? Cause that's where the bike is. And (laughs) that has been definitely the, probably the thing I've gotten the most use out of.
1: That is so cool. I love that. That's amazing. I wondered, I was like, how does he, how does he stay in shape, man? It's the bike, huh?
0: I stay in a shape. It's not, you know, maybe it's <laughs> physically fit, but it's a shape.
1: No, no, literally I've been the same way too. During quarantine, I'm like, oh, I need to get my stuff together. <laughs> it's been rough. Too much wine Sorry. and too much pasta. <laughs> okay. Next question for you. I, I personally, I'm just obsessed with people's morning routines. I find them so interesting. So what is your current morning routine?
0: Oh, Wendy, you'll be so sadly disappointed because I am I am not a morning person at all. Like every morning is a struggle. When I when that alarm goes off and I'm like, why? I just I regret it. I hit snooze like eight times, then I finally get up. Uh so I I'll I'll give you my night routine. Let's do that. I do not have a morning one at all. Morning is just I'm grateful that I'm alive and I've gotten out of bed. That's this as far as my routine gets, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> Um, at night, my, my routine has been recently, um, I, I, sit down after, after I do my day job, um, I'll do some work for the podcast. So I normally I'll sit down, I'll answer emails, do a little bit of editing, do a little bit of recording. And what I've been trying to do recently is incorporate some planning for the future. Like what, what is it that I, I hope to see oh, for the show, or even if it's just my personal life in the next month or so, because I'm horrible at planning. So that's one of the things I do is like, I'm trying to get better at sitting down and Making a goal for what I want to see happen um, in the next week, next month, as we, as I, you know, go go through each day, uh, and then after that, one thing I've been trying to get back on as well is doing a little bit of reading, so that way I can feed in a little bit more than just the social media nonsense I've been seeing on a, on a daily basis. It's like, okay, what else? What do I want to know more about? What else could I be better educated on? And so I've been trying to add that into my routine. So I'm definitely much more of a night person. So that's more of the things I've tried to add into the end of the day, since there's no way in the world I can wake up and do that in the morning.
1: (laughs) I get it. I totally get it. And actually, I'm finding a lot of people are that way, too. So you're certainly not alone.
0: (laughs) The mornings mornings are the worst.
1: They're pretty rough sometimes. (laughs) They really are. So you mentioned you've been doing a lot of reading. Is there a book that you've recently read that really stood out to you that you would recommend we all pick up?
0: Oh yes, I thought I had it here so I could be like impressive and pull it out, but I've clearly moved the book somewhere else. Um, the uh, it's called the Common Sense Guide to Investing by uh, John Bogle. He's considered like the the father of the uh, the index fund. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, it's it's a little more on the technical side, so for that reason, it's kind of hard to recommend it because it's written a little bit like a textbook, but it's very short and it gives a reason why index investing is a good idea. And shows you how people are typically pretty bad at picking individual companies and beating the stock market. It's, it's a tough thing to do. A lot of people aren't consistently good at doing it every year. And so it kind of breaks down why that is and gives actual mathematical reasons for why that, that is true. And that's one of the books that I've enjoyed. Although it's a little dense, uh, it, it is definitely a, a good place. If you want to know more about what this whole index investing is and why it's important and uh, how it can save you money.
1: Cool. Very cool. I actually have not read that. So I'm excited to pick up a copy and do my best to power through it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, give yourself some time. Don't try to like get through this in like a week. Give yourself yeah. time, like little by little, make your way through it.
1: That's, that's good advice. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. Next question for you. Where is one location you're dying to travel to? Let's pretend this is post COVID.
0: <laughs> oh man. That beautiful future that we're all hoping for.
1: I know. Damn it. Oh.
0: You know, I would say this is kind of, I I don't know if this is considered boring because I live in America and Canada is extremely close to us. Uh, So it's not like exotic, but I've always wanted to go to like uh, like British Columbia, like the West Coast side of Canada. Because there's like some really beautiful like trails and mountains and lakes and streams out there. And that's like my type of environment. I love like the whole mountain feel. Uh, I got a chance to go to Toronto last year and it was amazing. I was like, I almost became Canadian because I was like, oh. Like Tim Hortons, I didn't know what this was. This is great. So it's, like, <laughs> it's all these things uh, that, that made that like a really fun trip. But I would say visiting the West Coast because it's it's feasible. It's really doable because it's not that far being on the West Coast myself. And uh, it looks beautiful.
1: Love it. I didn't realize you were into hiking too.
0: I, see, I, that makes it sound like I'm good at it or I'm like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I like being outside where there's trees. And if there's a path, I walk along it but I could not help you if we were lost or anything like that.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. It's all—it's the thought that counts, right? Yeah.
0: I would walk with you, but you're going to be in charge of making sure, you know, we don't get hurt. You'll, you'll just
1: bring all the dad jokes. It'll be great. Yeah.
0: See, I, the entertainment, <laughs> you provide the safety. Perfect.
1: <laughs> we're going to be a good team, my friend. Okay. Last question for you. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success?
0: Ooh, that is a great question. I would say, I think the secret to financial success is consistency. I think being able to do something over time for long periods of time without getting tired or giving up or letting setbacks you know, discourage you and make you want to quit. That's one of the biggest things because it's so easy to go in like with all this energy, like I'm going to, I'm going to save 50% of my income and I'm going to do all, you know, you can have all these big goals, but then if you just burn out like two months later, it doesn't matter if you had a great start, if you just stop completely doing the things that were going to help you be successful. So I think if you're able to, if you're in a position, if you're fortunate enough to be in a position where you can save for retirement and still handle all your other expenses I think the consistency is one of the biggest things because it's a long journey. I mean, you're going to be saving for decades, for years and years and years, and you have to be able to keep that up over that period of time. And if you can do that successfully, then I think you're setting yourself up for a really good future.
1: Love it. You're such a rock star. I'm so grateful you took the time to hang out.
0: Oh, I was excited when you asked me to be on. I'm I'm really happy to join here.
1: You're welcome. Anytime. Anytime, my friend. We can talk hiking safety and... (laughs) I'm teasing. We
0: might need but to have like, that conversation.
1: Yeah, but like send you all these articles now on how to stay safe when hiking.
0: Chris, this is how you're not going to die the next time you go outside. Here you go.
1: Here's the berries to eat. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you again.
0: I appreciate it. Happy to join you.
1: Okay. What'd you think? I love this episode with Chris. I thought it was really interesting to hear a little bit more about debt PTSD and what that means for him and savings guilt. That was certainly something that resonated with me most on a personal level, but I'd be curious to hear from you. What really stood out to you from this episode? Make sure you take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co And tag me and let me know you're listening in and maybe a little tidbit of what you took away from this episode. I know it means the world to me and it definitely means a lot to Chris too, because he took his time to come on the show and share some of his insights. All right, don't forget, if you're trying to hire and you need some help, please take advantage of our sponsor's offer by going to indeed.com moneynerds. It's a really great opportunity for you to get your job posting in front of even more people that are qualified and might help you just move the needle a little bit more in your job. All right, that is it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I hope you're having a great Wednesday and I will see you on Friday for Five Tip Friday or next week for another episode of the Money Nerds podcast. Bye.